God has a habit of using flawed people who have previously failed or messed up in some way to do the work of his kingdom. I want to suggest this morning that the Lord wants to use you in the work of his kingdom, that he has some, some calling upon you, some way in which you and your life can make a difference in the, the, the sending out of the good news of the gospel. If God gave you a choice, this is the question I want you thinking, out, thinking through this morning. If God gave you a choice, he could give you a very successful career um, that, you know, things went well, you, you, every, you accomplished what you wanted to in your career, but your life would have no kingdom impact whatsoever. No impact for, in a spiritual level. Or you could have a decent job that paid the bills, but your life would bear fruit in Christ's kingdom. And you would play a part in people coming to, to, to find eternal life because of, of how you lived your life, how you spent your time. Which would you choose? Simon, who later becomes known as Peter, or sometimes as Simon Peter, he started off as a fisherman, kind of well-known he, that was his day job. Actually, he might have worked night shift because every time it says he went fishing, it talks about how he fished all night long. Um, and it was after a night of fishing that Jesus first got a hold of Simon. And he said, come follow me. I got a different plan for your life. Right? Come follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. And Peter did it. He left behind the career of fishing, which probably was good because he kept fishing all night and never catching anything. So, so he left behind that job and started following Jesus as one of his disciples. And, and Peter had this quality about him. He just was a natural leader. He, he, would, he, he just had that, that tendency. He'd be the first one to speak up. You know, Jesus would say something and Peter would be, all right, all right I'll, I'm in. I'll do it. Right, first one out of the boat, first one to do this or that. And Jesus, Peter was the first one who, who put it all together and, and proclaimed Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus asked, who, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the Most High. And it is then that, that Jesus said, Peter, um, you are the rock. Now, that's what Peter means, rock. Right? His name is Simon, so he gave him the new nickname, The Rock. And I'll, on you, I'm going to build my church. This is the gates of Hades is not going to stand against it. You have a role and a key role in, in the work that's going to happen in this kingdom. So, at the key moment, Simon was not a rock. When Jesus was on trial being questioned by the religious authorities who would then hand Jesus over to death, Peter tried to stay nearby. He tried to stay within earshot. But then when someone asked, are you one of his disciples? Fear grabbed a hold of Simon's heart. And he said no. And when they pressed him on it, he says, I tell you, I don't know the man. And when even just a young, young woman said, 
Hey, I'm, I'm sure you're one of his. Peter insisted with an oath, I do not know who Jesus is. It is then, as Jesus had predicted, that the rooster crowed. And it just suddenly occurred to Peter what he had done. He had denied the Savior. He had denied the one he had given his life to follow. And then think about how he would have felt the next couple days when he learned that Jesus would have been not just on trial with the religious leaders, but turned over to the Romans, whipped, mocked, shamed, stripped, and hung upon a cross to die. And Peter had failed to stay with him. In fact, only one of the men disciples stayed with Jesus through that, and that was John. The women were there. They stayed true, and they were at the cross to, to bear witness. But Peter and the rest had, had deserted him out of, understandably so, thinking that that could be them as well. But for Peter, what did that mean? If it was his affirmation of Jesus as the Messiah that, that got him that, you know, you will be the rock of the church, what does it mean now that he, he blew it? He denied him three times publicly. Does that mean he's out? So when it started to happen, the, Jesus was raised, and, and the, the other disciples, as we talked about last week, Easter Sunday, right, that, you know, for John, we talked about John got there first. John was the first one who, by seeing the empty tomb, put the clues together, Jesus is raised from the dead. And then Mary Magdalene, she's the one that first met him, and when, when Mary heard Jesus call her name, she's like, Rabbi, I, I can't believe it. So, so they were the first two, but Jesus kept appearing to others. And Peter was with them. But he was, he was still kind of a special case. And I, I would suggest that even though he knew Jesus was raised from the dead, he still had this question, where do I stand with Jesus? Right? Because of his great public failure in denying him. So he was not sure where he fit in with, with his role in the kingdom. The disciples, as a group, were not sure what they were supposed to do after the resurrection. And it's actually a bit unclear in the gospel accounts. So on the screen is a map. I'm not sure how well you can see it. If you can't see it too close, just know Jerusalem is down in the orange at the bottom. Okay? Galilee is up at the top, at the yellow part. All right, so, so Jesus and the disciples, they came out of Galilee. That was where they, they did their ministry, up in the northern part of Israel. They came down to Jerusalem for special occasions like the feasts, and it was in Jerusalem Jesus was crucified. And it's in Jerusalem that they had the Last Supper and that they were at where the resurrection appearances initially happened when Jesus met them. So what were they supposed to do? Were they supposed to stay in Jerusalem? Or were they supposed to go back to their home territory where their homes and wives were in Galilee? And so there's conflicting accounts. In, in Luke 24, it actually says at one point, stay in the city, Jerusalem, until you are clothed from on high with the Holy Spirit. So Luke says that, but Matthew 28 says, go into Galilee and I'll meet you there. So 
which one was it supposed to be? And then John, no instructions are mentioned. It's just they have to kind of figure it out. Now, I think this can be reconciled, and the way I, I kind of figure it is that Luke's uh, instruction to, to stay in the city was really meant for after they had gone back and come back again. It would be in Jerusalem that the church would start with the coming of the Holy Spirit, but that they were intended to go back to Galilee and then come back for the next feast that they, they would happen. And that's, that's exactly how it played out. But, but they weren't sure what they were supposed to do. What do you do when you, you know, you're kind of confused and you're not sure what to do next? Do you have a go-to move? Like, go work in the yard? I, for me, if the weather's nice, I'll probably take a, a, a bike ride. You know, do you have a, a thing you do if it's like, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll watch a movie, go to, go to the theater, you know, something. Well, Peter's go-to move was fishing. You know, it's what he knew. It's what he had started. So, so he says, I'm going to go fishing. And Peter's just that kind of leader. And so about four or five other disciples said, yep, we'll go with you. So they, they're in Galilee. They're on the Sea of Galilee and they're back fishing because that's what they know. And I wonder if even Peter's thinking, okay, I've blown it as a disciple. I'm obviously no longer going to be the leader of the, the Christian community. And so I might as well get, a, get my paying job back. I wonder if that's what's going through Peter's mind. Hopefully, well, you've got to wonder if so, then how did he feel when he spent the whole night and once again, did not catch any fish. And so that's what happened. He and the, the small group of disciples are in the boat. They're, they're out there fishing they, all night, nothing. And then daybreak, it's early morning, and they see a guy far off on land, and he says out, children, do you have any fish? And they say, no, no, nothing. And then he calls out to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and then you'll find some. Now, how would you react to that? Oh, you mean all the fish are over here, and we've been fishing over there? How foolish of us. Why didn't we try that before? Like, I know sarcasm mode would, would be hitting with me. But they, they do it, and we're told in the text that it's actually Jesus the risen Jesus on the shore. They don't know that yet. So they throw in the net. When they, they go to pull it up, it's not budging. They go, oh, great. Now we got it caught, the net caught. But when they look, there is tons of fish. Wow, they had thrown it time after time with nothing to show for it. This time, it is chock full. And then realization comes. Like the light goes off and someone says, it's the Lord, right? Because this has happened before. This is not the first time Jesus had done this kind of miracle for Simon. In fact, it was back at the beginning when Simon was a fisherman that Jesus did the same exact miracle where he went, had caught nothing and then caught this huge, miraculous catch of fish. And so Jesus is doing this on purpose. Like, think about what's he trying to, to remind Simon Peter of? Why did you follow me in the first place? Right? You left everything to follow me. Why did you do that? 
Why are you stopping now? Why are you out here, Simon? It's, it's, it's Jesus setting up this conversation that, that is our main text. So I would submit to you that, that, that Peter was not thinking clearly because it says he's kind of not quite naked, but probably not like he had minimal clothes on, like his bathing suit or whatever, whatever they had back then. And, and says he puts on his outer cloak and jumps in the water. He's so excited, so intent on getting to where Jesus is, he puts on his outer cloak and, and tries to swim. It says they're 100 yards from shore. I imagine that did not go very well. Um, he's flopping around, but he knows Jesus is there, and that's where he's going. The rest of the disciples somehow managed to get the ship in the boat and get it all the way into shore. Probably ended up getting there about the same time. And when they get there, there is Jesus with the fire going, ready to cook breakfast. I said, bring some of the fish, and we will, uh, we'll, we'll have breakfast together. And so that's what they do. Uh, they, Jesus uh, cooks some, some breakfast, and I think he does this for a reason. Partially, he does it to show his, the physical nature of the resurrection. Right? So... So sometimes people get the idea that the resurrection means Jesus was spiritually raised so that he's, he's dead, but he's up with the Father in heaven, and that's what, that's what it means. No, resurrection meant he physically had a body, and he's going to show it by eating together with them. So I think it's definitely a, a demonstration of the physical nature of the resurrection, um, and then they're having this breakfast. You imagine they're talking around in a circle. And it, there's an awkwardness to it. It talks about how no one knew quite what to say. They, it says none of them, they all knew it was Jesus, but none of them dared ask about it. Like, they, they, they didn't quite know. I mean, really, it, it, you know, dying on a cross and coming back to dead does make things a bit awkward, right? So... All right, is it okay to ask about that? Like, Jesus didn't hurt while you're up there. Like, I would have all kinds of questions. They, they didn't feel free to ask them. And, and there's one other detail that makes me think it was awkward. How many fish did they catch? 153. How do they know that? Someone counted, right? Someone's like, oh, I think I'm just going to start counting fish. You ever, you ever have that little task, like, uh, I don't know what to say, so I'll do this. So I, I think there's this odd conversation, and it's Jesus himself who finally gets to the heart of the issue, and he, he addresses the conversation. Jesus breaks the awkwardness, and he names the elephant in the room. Now, I thought about that, that saying. Do you know that, that little saying? I'm, I'm not sure maybe younger people do. The idea of an elephant in the room is like, let's say you're in a meeting and there's a big elephant standing in the, the room and everyone sees the elephant. Everyone knows the elephant is there and no one says anything because you're not sure why the elephant is there and y'all don't, no one wants to look stupid enough to name the elephant, right? That's what it means to, to the elephant in the room. Well, here the elephant is Peter's failure as a disciple. And Jesus is going to raise it, but in the most gentle way imaginable. And he starts by saying, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Now, first, remember, he goes back to his given name, right? Peter was the nickname Jesus had given him, the rock. So it goes back to Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Now, what was Jesus pointing to when he said that? Was he pointing at the other disciples? Simon, do you love me more than John or Andrew? I don't think so. Because I don't think Jesus did that. Right? He, didn't, he never compared one person's relationship with them to another's. I don't think that's how he, he operated. I think he was pointing at the 153 fish. Simon, do you love me more than this? Do you, do you want to go back to this? He's, he's giving them the chance, right? Do you, do you want to quit following me and going back to being a fisherman again? Or do you want to follow me like you did from the beginning? And Simon gives a clear answer. Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus says, feed my lambs. He still wants Peter to serve him. But then he asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay? Tend my sheep. Right? Jesus is a good shepherd. He knows that, that the, the community of disciples are going to need a shepherd, someone to, to lead the people. And if he's going to ascend back to the Father, he's going to need a Peter, a, a rock, to, to be the shepherd. That makes sense. But it's when Jesus asks the third time that it all clicks into place. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Are you my friend? And then Peter sees it. It's like, Lord, you know all things. That's when Simon realizes Peter did know, or Jesus did know, of his denial, of his failure. You know all things. You know how he deserted you at the time of your greatest need. And says, but you know that I love you. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I do. It's okay, Simon. Feed my sheep. I still want you. You're still on the team, right? If, if, if it was from Australia, Jesus would say, no worries, mate, Right? If he was from the Bronx, he'd say, forget about it, right? If he was an engineer, he'd say, I've already accounted for it in my calculations. <laughs> if he was a baseball coach, he'd say, shake that one off. You'll get a hit next time, right? It, it's, it's you're still on the team. Peter's failure was not the, e- the end of it. Quit worrying about your past failures, Peter. We have work to do. There's things that need to happen. I've already forgiven you of that. So come on, let's get to work. Feed my sheep. And then he goes on. I think, I think this would have been one of the most encouraging things, though it might not sound like it, where he says, you know, when you're young, you dress yourself, you go where you want to go. There will come a day when you're old, when someone will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And the text says it's about how Peter one day will die, be, be executed, and glorify the Lord. Now, how could that be encouraging? You know, would that be encouraging to you if say, well, one day you are going to be beheaded for the sake of Christ? Mm. Well, here's the thing. 
It's saying that, first of all, it says, Peter, one day you are going to stand through. You're not going to desert me. Instead, you're going to stay faithful in the midst of that crisis. That's who you are. You are still the rock. The second thing it says, it's not going to be too you're old. So you have some time, right? Peter would have a boldness in standing for Christ. I don't know if it's because of this, but if you knew, you know, you had a long time before you're going you're to face that, maybe his boldness in proclaiming the gospel was because, well, I'm not old yet, so it's not time. And for 35 years, Peter would stand strong for Jesus. He would be the rock in which, which his, his courage and strength would be, would be what gets the, 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 the beginnings of the church off the ground. And then 35 years later, under the persecution of Nero, Peter would be, be crucified. Actually, he'd be crucified upside down. Horrible way to die, but he, he, he did it with, with a peace about it because he stood strong. There's a, a, a movie, an old movie. Maybe some of the people here from the elder generation will watch it, Quo Vadis. And I, it's, it's one of my favorite old movies. It's like from the Ben-Hur era. But it's about how, how Peter had that, that decision to make and how he ended up in Rome and how, in a sense, the movie was, was Peter walking to his death. And there's a little chapel in the city of Rome, or just it's outside the city. And it's supposedly the place where Peter would have turned around to go back into Rome to face his death. And I, I did get the chance to visit that chapel the one time I got to, to see Rome. And so I always think about that. What would that have been like? But would that be a price worth paying if you know Jesus is real? Peter had an important job to lead the community of dis- disciples, the sheep of God's people. He would stand strong in the face of opposition. He would teach others what he had learned from Christ. Jesus focused on, he, he would teach at times to the crowds, but the key teachings that he had, he would do just to the, the small group of disciples. They had to take that teaching and make it known um, to the rest of the, the followers of Christ. He, they had to take what he did, and eventually it would be put in, in the Bible, but they were the ones who first began to teach it to others. So it says, you know, one of the tat commands was feed my lambs. Simon Peter would have to have special care for the young and those who are new to the faith, right? How easy would it be if someone was new to this to, to, be, to be turned off by persecution? It was Peter standing strong, his courage that gave the ability for other new believers to, to be added to the number of the church. Peter was commanded to tend my sheep, He would have to watch over them to be with them in hardships. So the Apostle Paul had a a key role in taking the gospel out, out to new cities in the Greek world. So Paul's mission was to go. Peter's mission was to stay. He stayed in Jerusalem even when the other apostles started getting killed like James. Right? Peter's job was to stay and, and face the danger to tend his sheep. And lastly, he, he, Jesus says, feed my sheep. He would proclaim the message. Peter would be the bold spokesman who would stand up and, 
in the middle of the, the temple give a message about how, how Jesus, they could have eternal life in Jesus and how Jesus was crucified. His boldness in preaching was key to the church being founded. The, it says, feed my sheep. Obviously, who feeds sheep? It's shepherds, right? The word for pastor literally means shepherd. When it says pastors, um, it means it's, that's the word shepherd. So to be a pastor is to be a shepherd of God's people. In our church background, we don't have priests. We don't have apostles, because th- that was those specifically called by, by Jesus. But we do have pastors who, who watch over the sheep and walk with them as we learn to follow Jesus together. Right before this whole event, let me do two verses from John 20. And, and this is what John says was accomplished by the, the work of Christ on the cross. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus accomplished our salvation by what he did on the cross. At one point before his death, he yelled out, it is finished. Right? He finished the work of, of salvation for us by paying the cost to ransom us. There's another verse that, that talks about how he continues the work within us, where it says, he who began a good work in you, in Philippians 1, it says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, when we come into relationship with Christ, he comes into our life, and he's at work within us. So he did the work of the cross, he does the work through his spirit in our inner being that we might become sons and daughters of God. Um, And that's the work that he does. But he also has a work of building the kingdom on earth. And in that third work, we are called to be a part of it. Let me offer you a picture. I I love this this picture of, I I think it captures, in a sense, the situation. So you can see there's steps up to the mountain, and it looks like a cross, right? See, the mountain looks impassable. But Jesus, by his, the death and resurrection, created an opening for people to know God and enter into eternal life, right? He did the work of creating the opening. We're walking towards that, that life with him. But as we walk, as we go, we are inviting others to come with us, to walk with us. That's the work that we are giving, right? To, to make known who, the goodness of Christ, the salvation that he offers, and to invite people to say, hey, there's a way to God. Let me tell you what he's like. We as followers of Christ have that chance to be a part of this incredible work of helping others grow in Christ. I believe it's our greatest calling to enable people, the people around us. It's, it's the, the work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom, to, to come to eternal life. And here's what I want you to hear. Here's why I showed that video at the beginning. 
and, and why we're looking at this story. The Lord does not want our past failures or our fear of failure to keep us from walking with him, knowing him, or giving our lives for the service of the kingdom. He's dealt with our sins, right? It's, 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 it's done, right? So quit obsessing over how you've messed up in the past, right? Quit, quit letting those things define who you are. You are declared by the power of God and the spirit within you to be sons and daughters of the king. Act like it, and let's get to work. Because this message is too important to be hidden within a church building. This message has to go to people out there, and we have to figure some way out to do it, by knowing that he's doing it with us. We may think in humility that it's humility that says, well, I can't serve God because I'm, I'm just too messed up. Or, right? but, but, but that's really just pride. That's pride thinking that I, I can't admit how, how much I needed grace. We all need grace. And we've been given grace. So let's stop taking grace for granted and let's do the work. Psalm 40, 17 says, I... As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord gives thought of me. That's all of us. Right? We are poor and needy in, in, in our approach to God, but he makes us sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, I love this verse. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is Jesus. We're the jars of clay. It says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. When it comes to doing the work of the kingdom, the work of the gospel, it is not our power. It is not our talents. It is not how great a speakers we are. It's not how knowledgeable you are. It's not how perfect we are. It's not how holy we are. It's the power of him within us that matters more than all those other things. Let's get to work. I've used this illustration before. I'm going to switch to a different one. It's the fishing boat. And I would invite, if there's an artist who wants to redo this picture, I realize it's not the best. It is a, a fishing vessel that's pulling not fish out of the water, but people out of the water. I think this is a picture of the mission of the church. We as a congregation are called, we operate as a fishing boat, right? But, and, and each of us are on board this boat because Christ intervened in our life in some way. He came into our life, and we said yes to following him, to knowing him, to walking with him. And we know if we've been brought on this ship, he, he's the captain. And we can trust that he's going to bring the ship to shore safely and that we will have life with him. We can trust the captain to complete that work. But know this, if you've been brought on the ship, it is not a cruise ship. Right? You're not meant to sit on a deck chair and drink, drink uh, what do you drink on Mai Tais or mimosas or something, you know, um, Diet Coke. Uh, so, you know, that's not the role. If you've been brought on the ship, it's so that you can be part of the crew. And we need to remember the goal of the ship is pulling people out of the water. Now, to do that work, we do need to be attentive to the, the soundness of the ship to make sure it's functioning well. We do need to, to do things within, you know, to make sure the crew is operating well. There are internal dynamics that are important to take care of within the ship. But, but the, in some churches, the internal dynamics can take over and be the most important thing. And we can forget that the mission of the ship is to pull people out of the water. 
We have been given a mission. Let's get to work. Let's figure out how can we pull people out of the water? How can we help people come to faith in Jesus Christ? I'm calling us, challenging us to have an outward focus as a church. So an inward focus is when you're, you're focusing all the efforts on just the things inside the church, right? Or you think about, you know, it's like you're thinking about the structure of the ship or how to improve the ship, um, but that's an inward focus. We are called to follow Jesus in having an outward focus. What did Jesus say? He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is an outward focus. We're called to take on that mission. Let me throw some spaghetti against the wall. I think, I think there, I see so many opportunities for people to jump in and find a role of service. And, and I'm just going to throw some things out there. I don't know if, if the Holy Spirit applies one of these to you. The first one I'll say is on, for youth group, there are 30 to 40 teenagers showing up on Wednesday nights. About half of them aren't connected into a church. You know what we need? We need more adults who will engage and get to know those kids and, and help out with, with being youth leaders. We could at least, at least use two or three more. They could, there's more that could be done that will help these teenagers come to faith in Jesus Christ. On the, on the same level, there are outreach organizations that we are connected to as a church uh, one of them is, is Youth for Christ. We, we know people in Schenectady. We, we support one of our missionaries. He's trying to reach, reach some teenagers in, in the heart of Schenectady. Um, there's others. Uh, we have a guy coming next week who works for Youth for Christ, and, and they have other ways to volunteer to, that people would know Christ. But the other organization we're connected to is Young Life. And I know Young Life is trying to reach kids at Burt Hills and some other churches to the north. I know they need volunteers. I, they're actually cut back some of their program because they're short on people to help them. Let me throw some more spaghetti. A VBS planning party, right? VBS is awesome. What do we do? We invite kids from K to 5 or even younger, hey, come, we'll, we'll tell you, get you started in learning about Christ. Again, a good number of those that might be the only church thing they do. Jump into VBS. You can do it. Take the week off if you have to. Um, I know we're going to have a meeting, and we're going to vote on Susan Williams. I, she has plans. That's all I'll say. Like, not just to teach the kids of this church the, the, the Bible and the Scriptures, definitely that, but also there's plans on how to, how to reach kids that, that don't yet know, right? There's going to be opportunities. She's going to need people who will help out with children's ministry. Uh, we did a one-starry night awesome event. We decided at our last meeting, hey, that, that's not an every, every year thing. I mean, that's an every other year. We want to do some fall outreach event or fall or winter. We don't know what it is. We need some good planning people to meet sometime in May and start, start getting the ball on that rolling, whatever that would be, right? So we, we got to do something that, that engages our community. And, and that's part of it. We need to engage our community. We, we rightfully so put a lot of effort on the things we're doing in here. That's good. But we need to remember, we need to go out. We need to engage our community. Is there a way we could help out Scotia Glenville schools? I know we have teachers here with that. Is there some way our church could be a blessing to the schools? Um, here's another, more spaghetti against the wall. There's a group of people that, that go into Schenectady and feed the hungry every Sunday night, Sunday afternoon. 
They could always use help with that. Talk to Cindy Phillips if, you, if, if that, that's intriguing to you, right? So, so there, there's that. I think they're called street soldiers, right? We, um, there's a ministry to international students at, at Union College through InterVarsity. And, uh, or no, not through InterVarsity. It's through International Crossroads. I actually had dinner with uh, my friend Bao from Vietnam on, on Friday night. Good guy. They, they're always looking for people who will make friendships with international students, um, and help them just get to know them, build relationships with them. Oh, here's one more. There's a ministry called Young Lives. We host them on Tuesday nights uh, once a month. They're trying to reach out to teen moms in the area and uh, to, to love them, to help them learn how to be moms, young girls that are maybe unprepared. So there's a whole ministry that's working to do that. We, it's a separate from East Glenville Church, but we, we do a lot to support it. We have volunteers that help out with that. I bet they can always use more volunteers. They may even need some, some people to go with them to camp this, this, this summer and hold babies. How's that for a mission trip? To go to a camp and, and hold babies or play with toddlers. I can hook you up, right? So that's enough spaghetti for now um, against the wall. If, if none of those caught you, find something. Ask God, Lord, how are you calling me to reach out into the community? What are you calling me? Maybe it's the, the, the neighborhood complex you're in, the apartment complex, and you're called to build friendships and maybe invite them to our, our uh, Wednesday night meals because people are lonely. I know some of you are doing that. Good job. Keep it up, right? What, how is God calling you to engage people out there it doesn't mean we stand on a soapbox and, soapbox and preach at them. That's probably going to be unproductive. Maybe it starts with building relationships. Let me offer you three things. Now, um, you got me rolling. I'm sorry. Um, here, oh, here's my one point I don't want to miss. I love Bible study. I love teaching and getting in the Word. But, but here's the caveat. Just gaining more Bible knowledge will not enable you to grow in your faith unless you're doing something. There's work to be done. If you want to grow in Christ, at some point, you got to get to work. So three things about doing this work. One is it involves a sacrifice of time. Just sending money it does not have a spiritual impact. It's got to involve some sacrifice of your time. Second, you got to step out of your comfort zone. Yes, that means talking to people you don't know. Learning how to do that building that skill within your life, learning how to listen well. It means stepping out of a comfort zone of going to people who are out there rather than staying where it's comfortable. And third thing it means, you need to have the attitude of a servant. If you go as a know-it-all, you will turn more people off than you turn on. We go as a humble servant. And, and as we go, we proclaim Jesus Christ. So, Friends, let's get to work. As the worship team comes up, if God, let's go back to our question. If God gave you the choice, right, you could have great career success. You could, you know, you could get the, become the top of your profession, but you have no kingdom impact in your life. Or you could have a decent job that paid the bills, but a life that would bear fruit for the kingdom. Which would you rather have? Truth is, you may not have to choose. I think if you commit yourself to the service of Christ, you'll actually be a better employee and do better work in your, your real job as well. 
But which would you choose? Which matters more? Let's offer this to God. Father, I pray for each person here that you would show them the calling, the the unique role that they have in doing the the work of the kingdom, the work of the gospel. Just show us, Lord, because we don't know. So we need your help to see it. In Jesus' name, amen.